All right, so while Kyle is getting wired for sound, um, <clears throat> I wanted to, uh, this week, uh, continue our conversation about forgiveness. Uh, we have done Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah teachings in the past, um, and I actually shared one of those last week on our Facebook page. I'll share uh, it again this week. Um, where we go through the mechanics of what Rosh Hashanah slash Yom Teruah slash Yom Hadin slash Yom Hakisei, all the the different names for this holiday that we're about to celebrate and what it is and all those things. We've done teachings on that. But a couple weeks ago, whenever we were talking about forgiveness, um, we had a great conversation afterwards. Uh, and those of you online, I know you miss out on those uh, those conversations afterwards, but um, we really kind of left it settled on kind of, well, what was Yeshua's idea of forgiveness? Because I don't know about you, but I've been taught certain things about forgiveness. And, it, and again, you guys know that part of, <laughs> part of my ministry, sadly, is uh, healing from my own mess and, and taking you guys along with me for the journey. Um, so that if you need healing in the same way, then welcome, you know, welcome along for the ride. Uh, if you don't, then sorry, we'll get to you later. Um, but we were taught certain things about forgiveness that, um, that end up being actually really toxic instead of really healing and empowering and freeing. And I know that we don't do um, a lot, you know, I see other, I see other teachers online uh, on YouTube and different things, and they're they're talking about other things like the Nephilim and like the you know the giants and the shape of the earth and all the you know they're talking about all this kind of stuff and that's great. And if you're interested in that, please you know apparently a lot more people are interested in that than interested in what I'm teaching because they have thousands of people you know that that watch their stuff, which is cool. I, I'm not it, I'm happy with where I am. Believe me, um, I don't want to get caught in that craziness. But we do more. Uh, we do more of this kind of teaching because I, I think it's, you know, who cares about the giants six thousand years ago? I, I mean, I'm sorry. Maybe you do, and if that offends you, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't. What I do know is that I got to live with people today, and I need to know the best way to do that. The best way that that honors God, and the best way that that honors the people that I'm around. We have to live in this world today. We have little children coming up that are watching us. And they're going to have to survive in a world that we, don't, we won't understand. It's becoming that way more and more as it is already. So th this is why we talk about these things. And this is why we use more of a, um, I would say, a philosophical approach to some, some of these things that we teach rather than a, well, this verse says this, and this verse says this. Now, how do we make them make sense? We have to zoom out a little bit and understand the context. Last thing I'll say before we kind of get into this is, it is important for every one of us to be as healthy as we possibly can. And, and this allul may have brought some stuff out in you where you thought like, man, I thought I was healthy, but I guess not. <laughs> or maybe you just look at yourself in the mirror every day and you just hate who you see. Or you may have a multitude of different ways that you view your own self. But the kingdom and God's desire is that we be as healthy as we possibly can. And that means spiritually healthy. What does that mean? Well, it means you're, you have a prayer life. It means your spiritual disciplines are in order. You, you, you're spiritually strong. 
It means when temptation comes, you can say no because you know who you are. Your spiritual identity is, is intact, which is a whole other series. But it also means being mentally healthy. It means being mentally healthy. Are you strong enough mentally to be able to, to traverse all of life's issues and still mentally stay disciplined on who you are and what your mission is, what your vocation by God is? Or does your mind just ping pong to every new thing that's out and every different thing and you just float around and don't know who you are and don't know what you believe and just everything's okay or, 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 either, or the opposite where, no, I'm just miserable and I know how to get out of it because we're not mentally strong. And thirdly, I'll say emotionally healthy. Emotionally healthy. Do our emotions rule us negatively? Are we still making decisions today based on the hurt inner child that we have from 30 years ago, from 40, 50 years ago. Is that, is that four-year-old, six-year-old, 10-year-old child in us still making the emotional decisions for the 40, 50, 60-year-old current day us? Or, or have we grown emotionally where we know where to place our emotions, where we know when they can be advantageous and when they can be to our detriment? We need to be healthy people. Now, there would be many denominations, whole denominations, whole swaths of Christianity that disagree with that statement. Because the way they read the scripture is that only in our brokenness can God be made glorious. And I get that. But broken people just break other people. It's, it's great to have that spiritual ideal. And yes, I believe that when we are broken by our own realizing how far we have to go in light of God's mercy and his holiness, when we realize how, how, how far off we are from who God wants us to be, we should be broken over those things. But we also should have the mental, the spiritual, the social, the emotional wherewithal to reach for those places. We should know how and why and when to be able to reach for those things. And the bottom line is that we are, as we've said for a long time, we are supposed to be partners with God, right? We're supposed to be partners with God in, in the work that we're doing. And if I'm going to be a partner with God, I want to be the healthiest, most whole, most sober-minded, most Christ-like, Messiah-like person I can possibly be. And that's not somebody who's broken and who's addicted and who's, who's tormented and who's depressed and who's anxious. And again, I'll say this as I've said before, when I talk about depression and, and anxiety and all those things, don't come at me because you're looking at somebody who has and is living it, but I'm overcoming it. And you can too. And you should as a believer. So... This is the whole preface for why Kyle and I want to talk about, or why I wanted to talk about, I just roped him in. While we wanted to talk about this forgiveness, uh, this forgiveness this way, because I think this is really important. It's important because we have talked about forgiveness and been taught about forgiveness. And by the way, this wasn't coordinated. If anybody's wondering, I know y'all were wondering. Um, it's our staff I outfit. hope it's a sign of things to come. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but we, we want to talk about this because I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about forgiveness. We talk about teshuva, we talk about returning, and we talk about God forgiving us. And we go, that's great, right? And, and we believe that, and we, I, bet, I hope we believe that, that God forgive us, forgives us when we return to him. The issue that I want to discuss is not so much our relationship with God, but again, it's our relationship with each other. Because we have this thing about this doctrine, this theology, I don't even know what we call it, this practice of you just, you have to forgive, period, full stop, no matter what the other party does. Or did. Or did, right. No matter what their violation was, no matter what their offense was, no matter what their abuse was, as a Christian... You are obligated to forgive them no matter how horrific their damage and no matter how they have acted since then. You just forgive and you trust God with the rest of it. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. If, you're, if you want to, you can raise your hand. That's fine. But there's some of you sitting in this room today. There are probably more of you out there listening that have experienced some horrific abuse in your past. You've experienced things that one human being should never do to another human being. It's the epitome of why God cleansed the earth through Noah. And the idea that you should just forgive that person and let it go without any sense of that doesn't seem right that idea can become very toxic and can become detrimental to the way that you see yourself the way that you see your own victimization the way you deal with the the byproduct of their abuse and their their manipulation how do you deal with that stuff if i'm supposed to just forgive them and forget what do i do with all this stuff i'm left carrying what if there's, no, if there's no reconciliation, if they haven't made it right and restored to me the things that they broke because that's what we're talking about, that's what real repentance and forgiveness is all about. If they haven't done that, then I just forgive them and then what do I do with all this stuff? Well, again, ideally, church stuff, stupid church stuff we say is, well, just trust God with it. And that's absolutely great advice, but some of you who have been abused, tell me how that works. Or, or, or worse yet, we create the ideal, which is what we do. We create the ideal, right? That when someone has abused you and wronged you and you forgive them, that it's all great now, right? That's the ideal that's created. And then the baggage that's left is ignored. Right. And then that person is told that something's wrong with their own faith because of the, because of the created ideal. Does, it, does, it, does everyone see the problem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like We that, build a straw man. That's right. the, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah, and, and the, yeah, to your point, the, the thing is that I, should we trust God? Yes, of course. But when we tell a, a victim, when we tell somebody who's been through either a long term of, of abuse, and I don't just mean physical abuse or sexual abuse, I mean mental abuse. I mean 
Maybe you've lived with somebody or you've been in a relationship with somebody that was mentally abusive. Maybe they were a narcissist. Maybe, you know, maybe you just, you've gotten taken advantage of whatever it's, whatever it's been. Maybe you've been judged for uh, something, some, some way that you are, the way you speak or the way you look or what you believe or whatever. The ideal, as Kyle said, is, is that will you just trust God with the trauma. And I, I have trouble with that because I've seen in my own personal life people suffer with trauma their entire lives while quote-unquote trusting God. And that doesn't mean that God is not true to his promise to heal and to help and to deliver. Maybe it means that we have the forgiveness mechanism wrong and that God, is, God won't do what God doesn't plan on doing. In other words, God won't step in and do... Just like if, if I offend Stacy. God's not going to forgive me and heal Stacy until I go back and I make it right with Stacy, right? There's just some things God won't do because that's not what he does. And maybe it's that we're left, we have a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, a lot of good people that, are, that want to love God and want to make an impact on this world. They're desperate to be whole and healthy and, and serve God with, with, with all they are, but yet they're broken, and maybe it's because we've been telling them all along just to trust God and we've let the victim off the hook or let the, the victimizer, excuse me, off the hook. Then you go, well, that's the Christian thing to do. And what we want to do is ask the question today, is it? Is it, the Christ, is it what Yeshua taught? Is it what Jesus taught? And that's why I have Kyle with me because he knows this stuff better than I do. I'm so. going to certainly do my best. I think um, a big part of that is that as Christians, for some reason, we're, we're taught to completely ignore agency, right? Like, like so to talk about what agency that, like, is. Yeah. Agency is this idea that like God has to act through people to accomplish his means on the earth, right? Or he, that's primarily how it works. How often do we read things in the prophets in the Haftarot where it's like, I myself will do this thing, X, Y, or Z, or I'm going to bring calamity upon you, yada, yada, yada. But who did it? Babylon did it. Yeah. God took the credit, right? <laughs> because he's the one who orchestrated it, you know, however you want to work that out. But my point is that we, we've been taught to ignore this middleman process of how God rules the affairs of the, the world at large and our own lives with each other. Uh, we can't just expect reconciliation and forgiveness to happen like that because that ignores the problem of agency. There are two parties. It takes two to tango, mm-hmm. right? So um, I just wanted to say that because that's a thing that uh, we miss all the time. God acts through people, and uh, to ignore that is a big part of this uh, forgiveness mechanism that we get wrong. So uh, we're going to go to Matthew 5, to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, perhaps the place in the gospel that is um, uh, just ravaged the most because it's the best soundbite place where people can just take a verse here and take a verse there, but that's not how Matthew crafted it. And, and I use that word specifically. It's crafted. It, it's, a, it's a sermon, okay, where they start and a finish and transitions, right? I, I harp on my kids at school about transition phrases. There's always then, in other words, therefore, yada, yada, yada. It goes on and on, right? Uh, there's tons of that. So another thing that I always say to my kids is something we're going to do today. We're going to read carefully, okay? We're just going to read carefully 
Because whenever you read carefully, things make sense. Okay? So we're going to slow down. We're going to try not to soundbite this. We're going to try to think about some of the things that are being said. Um, so I hope my bookmark's in the right place. <laughs> and it is. Past Kyle had my back for once. <laughs> All right. So um, let's see. Where do I want to start? Okay, I'll start at verse 21. Uh, I, I don't know what all you want to address, so if I just start tangenting too far, you, you, just, you just say the word. Hmm. Uh, so this section now that we're about to get into is sometimes called the antithesis, right? Where something is said in the Torah and Yeshua says something that is the opposite, the antithesis. I'm going to argue that these are not the antitheses, they're the intensifications. Because if you read closely... He actually takes the law in the Torah and just actually ramps it up to like 100. Okay? Nothing is made easier and nothing about the original law in the Torah is ignored, even in some of the harder examples that we're going to look at. Okay? So verse 21, Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is to call them an idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That's a hard saying. <laughs> Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may throw, be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. All right, so here's the reading closely part. There's a couple of important things that I want to point out here. So, first of all, he says, don't call someone an idiot or you're in danger of the fires of hell, right? Um, to Joe's point earlier, several things are said in here in this section that are difficult, and they're supposed to be, okay? They're supposed to be hard. They're supposed to be difficult. That's the point. That's the style of this teaching is to hit you between the eyes, right? It's supposed to be hard, but we want to we wanna worry about Nephilim and... Uh, ooh, no one knows the day or hour, sliver of the moon, the coming of the Son of Man on the clouds. We're worried about all this nonsense, and we don't even have this. This is harder than yeah. figuring all that out. Yeah. Okay? So, don't call someone an idiot, or you're in danger of the fires of hell, right? My road rage brain needs to remember this passage more often. Okay? Um, but, but the real thing that I want to point out is that... Um, he says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar. Okay, so here, here's how this works. Sorry, I need to slow down. We're reading carefully. We're, we're trying to slow down and, and be careful. Let's say that I called my friend Raka, right? Which is a, a word in Yeshua's day that meant that, like, you're, you're hopeless. You, like, God can't even help you. <laughs> okay? Um, and then you go to the temple where God lives to make an offering. Okay, will God accept that offering? Is that offering even good? No, right? He says, when you're there and you realize 
that your neighbor has ought against who? Against, against who? I really do feel like I'm teaching my sixth grade class. <laughs> I'm doing all the things. Against who? You. you. Okay. I'm just trying to read carefully. He does not say when you're there and you remember that, you, that someone has wronged you. Is that right? Am I being true to the text? What, what does he say? You're not the victim. Yes. You made someone when else. When you have yeah. wronged someone else, yeah. forget the offering. You and God are going to be good. When you come back and say, God, I'm sorry, I've already talked to the person I wronged, and I'm doing my best to make it right. That's a given. You actually, the, the offering now can be an offering of thanksgiving. It doesn't even have to be a sin offering. Do you see the logic? Yeah. It's brilliant. Go to the person that you hurt, acknowledge that you hurt them, and show them that you want to make it right. That's how you apologize, right? We talked about some of those steps. Say with your mouth, I did this thing wrong. I wish I hadn't. I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. And then show them that you're making it right. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's actionable steps. What I want to make clear, though, it's when you realize that you have hurt someone else. Okay? It's not that victimhood, other way around thing, right? Um, And also, I think this sort of takes some of the burden off of the people uh, who have been abused and hurt. Right now, this blink of an eye forgiveness thing—you um, realize it's when you've hurt someone that this forgiveness process is most apparent in your relationship with God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Am I making any sense? I hope that I am. Okay, because I think that sometimes we think about it the other way around. When you're at the altar, you realize someone has hurt your feelings. Leave it there and demand that they apologize. Right? It's not. That's not it. I want to read carefully. Okay, is there, uh, and we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about this a lot. I hope at this point we all know well and good that your relationship with God is, is, there's no doubt there. God is going to forgive you when you ask, but it is your responsibility, agency. It is your responsibility to make things right when you have hurt someone. Okay? All right. So now let me see where I want to go. Uh, verse 38. Okay, verse 38. These are all of the landing zone passages for forgiveness. Okay. You have heard it, that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All right. So this is, uh, this is Jesus' teaching on being a doormat. <laughs> right? That's how we think of it. This is like... I, th- I hope that I'm just saying things honestly that you're thinking in your brain sometimes. That like sometimes I think when, especially like as a teenager, I'd hear things like this. And I'm like, that sounds great, hippie Jesus. 
But, like, I get, like, there are real bullies at school. Right. Right? Um, you know, easy, e- you know, easy for you to say, Miss Robin said something hilarious. I hope that it's okay that I name dropped you. On Wednesday, where she was like, you know, but I'm not Jesus, so, like, I'm just trying my best, <laughs> right? Um, but I want to dissect a few things here that are important. First of all, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Um, are we supposed to just assume that ancient people were knuckle-dragging Neanderthals who thought that the best way t- to punish people was to rip out their eyeballs and pull out their teeth? And is that the Torah's teaching on justice? Right? Otherwise, frankly, can I just be frank? Otherwise, no, that's, that's frank. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Kyle, right? Yes. Sorry. Uh, that was good. That was quick. Um, wow, I got to find it. Um, let's see. Okay, yep, I think we're back. So, um, you know, because if that is the Torah's teaching on justice, it does deserve an antithesis. Right. It does deserve an opposite. So let me be clear. This is an intensification of this law in the Torah. Because the original intention of the law was to put a limit on the capital punishment that a wronged party can pursue in a court of justice. In other words, in a tussle, if my tooth is knocked out, I cannot demand your life or take it. Right. Make sense? Mm-hmm. It's to put a boundary on the punishment. Okay? So if you lose an eye, the worst that you can take is an eye. And the court probably won't do that anyway. Right. They're going to make you pay recompense for that eye. But the idea, of the, Torah, the, the idea that the Torah is trying to put forth is that there are boundaries to justice, right? So... Now let's look at what Yeshua does with this idea. Now, before you say that, just, just as a, a throw-out, um, in the Mishnah, there's a tractate that we studied on Wednesday night. Uh, Wednesday night's called Nezakin, which means damages, and it explains all of what Kyle just said. See, one of the problems that, one of the reasons why we in the, we in the Torah Messianic um, movement have not progressed better than what we were taught is because we haven't read the wisdom and knowledge that's out there for us we're still trying to make just the text make sense and i'm sorry but sometimes just the text doesn't make sense you can read it a thousand times and it's going to say what you've been taught it says and so we we this is a ploy to anybody who's listening that is anti oral torah anti mishnah and talmud please for the love of god grow your understanding and grow your 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 learning because you will get this wrong if you don't understand the context right yeah that's right um so i think that it's, this is easy to understand or misunderstand because this is how we use this thing in everyday life and speech, right? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, it's, it's a tit for tat thing. That's how we have commonly understood it. But that's not what the Torah was ever trying to teach. Right. Right. So Yeshua takes the concept and he teaches you how to not be a, a doormat but how to demand justice from people who do wrongly to you. Particularly, he's talking about people 
who cannot demand justice any other way in his context. In other words, if a Roman soldier comes up to you and beats you down like a dog and rips out your eye, are you going to take it back? No. No. There's nothing you can do. This is why people have used this section as inspiration for what they call... um, uh, uh, well, it just it totally blanked me. I'll come back to it. Uh, Martin Luther King, Gandhi. What's that, what's that called? Uh, civil disobedience, oh, right? Yeah. Um, because that's exactly, what he's, that's exactly what he's teaching. So you'll see that he's taking this and he's actually ramping it, okay? And he's making it interpersonal and less about the court. Because as he said, you want to make things right before you ever have to go to the court, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So listen to what he says. If someone slaps you on your right cheek... Turn and give them the left. Okay? Again, we read that and we go like, doormat. You're just supposed to let people beat you up. <laughs> no. Okay? In, in the Roman world of Yeshua's day, you did your bathroom duties with your left hand because most people were right-handed. So when you wanted to disrespect someone that was beneath you because they were a slave or lower class, you smacked them with the back of your potty hand. Which means if you backhand someone with your left hand, you're striking them where? On the right Right cheek. cheek. Mm -hmm. He says, turn your left also. Which means you confront them again and say, if you're going to hit me, you have to hit me like I'm a human. You Mm -hmm. have to now acknowledge my humanity and that we are the same if you wish to strike me again. That's good. It's just finding a creative alternative to demanding justice. Okay? It's not being a doormat. It's, in fact, quite the opposite. Right. Because it exposes the person who wronged you. That's the point. It exposes the person who wronged you. You smacked me with the potty hand because you see me as less. Turn the other cheek and let them in front of whoever do it again. Because this time they have to smack you the right way and acknowledge that you're on the same level and playing field as them. You're another human. Make sense? Next one. Uh, If someone wants to sue you and they take your shirt, your closest garment, hand them your coat as well. Okay. Chances are, if you're having to be taken to court to be sued for your shirt, you own nothing. Justice is not being done. So what he says is hand your shirt over and then take your coat off too and stand naked before the court and say, what more do you want from me? Mm. I own nothing. Is this justice? Do you see? All right. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. It was Roman law in ancient Judea that a Roman soldier could demand from any Jew to carry his rucksack, his pack, for one mile. Yeshua says, carry it too. Because can you imagine... Hey, dog, carry my pack. Mm-hmm. And what does the Roman soldier now start to do whenever you go more than one mile? He starts to sweat a little <laughs> because Roman law is being broken. Mm-hmm. And then now what's he going to do? He now either has to acknowledge that having you carry it in the first place was wrong or what's he going to do, beat you down for carrying his rucksack? Do you see? This is not being a doormat. 
This is creatively ousting injustice in order to demand justice. And so, yeah, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought because you're just, this. So these, <clears throat> these three instances are actually not about the person. It's not about us. If we put ourselves in the, in the typical place that we put ourselves. So we always put ourselves in the place of, well, I'm getting slapped. I have to turn the other cheek. I'm being sued. I have to give more. I'm being asked to walk, right? Let's just say that is the case. Then this passage is really not about us. It's not about the victim at all. It's about turning attention to the victimizer, right? So see, we've misplaced the whole, the whole focus of where the passage should be is not on us being a better servant. If you, were just a be- if you had more of a servant's heart, read Matthew 5 and go the extra mile. You'd have a, you, you have to have more of a servant's heart. Just accept no. your abuse. Yeah, just yeah. accept your abuse. Yeah. You got it, because that's what Jesus taught to do. No, he's actually, the focus is on the victimizer. It's on the abuser. The focus is not even on us. How many books have been written about us being in the place of the one being needing to give more, and you need to be okay with it. You need to learn how to be okay with you know just taking it and whatever. So much so, baggage time, so much so that we drag this stuff into the church and then pastors and ministers become the abusers and then they tell you, well, you've got to, if you're going to be in authority, you're going to be under authority. You have to be under the man and woman of God. You have to just take whatever we give you because that's what being a servant is all about. Husbands and wives, you're, wives, you're under your husband. It's just what you have to do because 1 Corinthians, that's not... That's not what this is talking about. You see how the, we've gotten the text completely, context completely wrong? Completely wrong. And I hope just shifting that focus helps you to understand that, take some breath off, take, take a deep breath. It's not that you're not a servant. It's not that you're not willing to help. It's not that you're not willing to be forgiving. Some people, their injustice, their abuse needs to be called out. There's a spotlight that needs to be put on it. So again... We see Yeshua not even following the standard that we've put on ourselves. You hold the people accountable who should be held accountable. Okay, right. And so the, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's the main point I want to get to today is that we read these gospels, we read the Sermon on the Mount, we read the scripture, and we hold ourselves to, an, uh, to a standard. Religious people hold us to a standard that Yeshua himself did not embody and let's, did not. Let's get to that though yeah. because I, I, I think that. That's the money if, ball. if my brain can work right, we can put a nice okay. bow on that. <laughs> Good. All right. Uh, I'm going to come back to the whole give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Okay? Let's keep going. The very next section, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Pause. We have to stop. Where in the Torah does it say to hate your enemy? That's a trick question. The Torah does not say to hate your <laughs> enemy. Okay, so only half of this even comes from the Torah, which is why this feels very rabbinic, mm. because he's not just riffing on the letter of the law, but also some of the rulings and understandings and traditions and customs concerning said laws. Okay. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Here we go. Be perfect. Martin Luther hated that. (laughs) Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, so you just got to be a doormat, and you just got to love people who don't like you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It sounds like the theology I grew up with. So let's talk context again. This was one of the most, most turbulent times to be a Jew. And it was one of the most turbulent times to live in the land called Israel. Because this was the most divided and sectarian that Judaism probably had ever been. And you throw in things like messianic expectation. You throw in things like we hate our king. We feel downtrodden by Caesar. We have Pilate breathing down our neck. The Sadducean priesthood is corrupt. Things are not only sectarian and divided, they're nasty. Mm. Blood is being shed because of these disagreements. Okay. Which, is, which is the reason why the sages give for the temple destruction. Remember? That's right. Baseless hatred. Baseless hatred, right? That's this infighting, right? Yeah. So, um, what is this saying then? It's basically saying... Uh, here's the part I want to really zero in on because if if we don't take this into consideration, it doesn't make sense and it almost feels like it doesn't fit here based on how this is often taught. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What is that doing in this section about love your enemies? Because we have it, we just, our paradigm is not correct. This is saying, don't think that you and your little tribe and your little group is special. Because you're not. God gives mercy to people who you think don't deserve it. Bad things happen to people you think don't deserve that either. You are not special. You and your little group. Wherever place you have said, this is my tribe, these are the boundaries. You're not special. (laughs) Okay? So then, you have to have a posture and attitude of making a friend of your perceived enemy. Now, I want to be clear. What I'm not saying is you have to get in a room and, and, and do your best to make friends with people who ridicule you and badger you to the point that the worst comes out of you. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is whatever group of people you think of in your brain are the worst of the worst, if you can't do good for them, be a decent human being to them, have a conversation with them without raising your voice, then stop worrying about Nephilim (laughs) and stop studying the secrets of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and figure this out because this is harder. Right. Yeah. If you hate Democrats, figure it out because you ain't special, Republican. Right. And you got to live with it. And vice versa. (laughs) Okay, I'm just giving it in our context, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to give it a little bit of our context because uh, does it not feel divided and nasty right now? Right. That's the point. These these aren't forgive until it hurts passages. They're just not. These are bare minimum be a decent human passages. 
and there not be a victim passages. Right. I'm going to go one more place. Yep. Uh, this is after the Lord's Prayer, so we're going to go to Matthew 6. Uh, I'm going to go to verse 14. We already read the, we already recited the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you or are indebted to you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their debt, your Father will not forgive your debts. Okay? And this should cause us to ask a question if we're reading carefully. How does forgiveness work with God? Mm. That should be the question. Because we're talking about the way that God forgives here. Does God forgive freely to the unrepentant? I'm just asking. Wait, let's ask that question again. What does God require? First of all, does God require it? Because this, this is the money ball. Does God require anything? God has lavish forgiveness, right? That we can't even comprehend. Does God require anything for that forgiveness? Teshuva, repentance. How in the world do we have in our heads that any of us were forgiven freely without asking anything of ourselves? How do we have that doctrine in our head? Why do we believe that? Don't we believe that's the case? Why do we believe that? Because I was, I was put in a little circle and I was led through a prayer where I asked for forgiveness. So I don't know why we think that. Even in the circles that I wish I could forget, <laughs> the first thing I was taught to do was pray a, a, a prayer that they had perfectly put on this little index card that asked God to forgive me because I'm a sinner. But also in that prayer, you gave him... That's what I'm, that's right. what I'm saying. You, we were at, it's not like we were even... We were asked for our lives. Were we not? Turn your whole life over to Yeshua and he will give you forgive when you repent and you turn away from everything that you were. That sounds like a whole heck of a lot in order to get God's forgiveness. I'm sorry, is this a sacred cow that we're slaying? This is serious. Because again, there is, there is a lot of toxicity around this. And we need to think about how we think about it. And lest we be misunderstood, what we're saying is that God forgives those who ask for forgiveness. Just like we did the first time we ever yes. said yes or whatever. So then, can't we just ask for the same thing from other people? I want to forgive freely to people who want to be forgiven. Amen. Right? Amen. We have this uh, we have this thing about debts, right? Because that's how people in Yeshua's world thought about sin. Okay, this is so important. This is like a huge piece to the puzzle of their time. If they would have had books, which they didn't, and they could pull a dictionary off the wall, and they looked up the word sin, they would have a metaphor for their definition, because sin is a metaphor in the Bible. Mm -hmm. 
That doesn't mean it's not true or a real thing. That's a, that's a terrible way to understand what a metaphor is. A metaphor is something that reveals truthful things to you through things that you can see and understand. So the metaphor, the primary guiding metaphor for sin in the time of Yeshua of Nazareth was a debt. A sinner who sinned against God or their neighbor did something that caused them to be indebted to that party. And that required either making the debt right or a complete forgiveness and wiping away of that debt. Do you see? Do you remember whenever we talked about the stages of forgiveness? One of the primary ones is just acknowledging to someone that they don't owe you anything. Right? You don't owe me anything. I want to move on with my life. Right? That is forgiveness. Yes. You wiped a debt free. What, What more? And see, like, this is actually baked into our theology. We just don't realize it. We say Yeshua died for the world. We're just waiting for repentant sinners to accept it. So how come we can't do the same thing in our everyday interactions with each other? The way that we take these grand themes and completely just blow it with our neighbor is insane to me. But it's because we've been on autopilot and we don't think. (laughs) What you said is true. Everything is here. The heart is the brain. In the Bible, all the decisions for your loyalty or disloyalty toward God start right here. Your right and wrong decisions happen here. I'm sorry. You don't make decisions with your heart. That is a metaphor. (laughs) Okay? You make decisions here. So it is important that we think about how we think about things. Yes? Is everybody okay? Mm Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is we have, we have created a standard for ourselves in our interpersonal relationships and God and Yeshua don't even follow those guidelines. They hold people accountable who sin. Like, oh, I don't know, a whole exile of a people. I don't know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. They call people out and they do things to people who need to be held accountable but they have a posture toward forgiving those who want it right, and need it and hurt for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I That's make... the gold standard. Yeah. That you are in a posture and position willing and ready to forgive when you can. And when reconciliation can't happen, it's enough to just say, you don't owe me anything. Your debt's canceled. I want to move on. That is forgiveness. That inner thing that we hoped would happen in a blink in Christianity is that thing. Mm. When you make the internal decision to not let that person have any power over your life, you just, you don't owe me anything. I want to move on. You never have to say you're sorry. You never have to make anything right. You just don't owe me anything. And that's what he means by give to those, give freely. Give to those who ask. You're always ready and when they can't repay it, you don't owe me anything. That's the posture, right. right? It's not this toxic cycle of just forgive till it hurts, even if they did terrible, awful things to you, because God and Yeshua don't work that way, guys. But see, we don't think about it that way because we don't, 
we don't understand the loving our enemies passage. We think God just hates everybody else, right? Not that he hates us, but you get the point. I'm using hyperbolic language. Mm-hmm. We think God's always mad at everybody else. Everybody else is a sinner. You're not special. So the standard is that God wants to forgive those who desire to be forgiven and want to quit doing the things that hurt him yes. and other people. So if that's the standard for God and we want to be like, we want to be children of our Heavenly Father and be perfect as God is perfect, why is our standard so different? Why do we expect a, a magic trick to happen? I'm just asking. But what does it take, coming back kind of full circle, what does it take to be somebody that can say, you know what, you don't owe me anything and I'm going to move on with my life? Again, that's fine if somebody sees you in a store and calls you a knucklehead and it kind of hurts your feelings and you can go like, I don't know you, dude. Or if somebody cuts you off in traffic and while they're cutting you off, they're flipping you off like you did something wrong, you can go like, I don't hold anything against you. I'm just going to go about my day. That's easy, right? That's right. But what if one of your closest, what if one of your closest family members, somebody that you've done life with, a friend, a family member, all of a sudden betrays you or has been betraying you and it just comes to light? it's not as easy just to say, you know what, you don't owe me anything, move on, without bitterness taking hold, right? This is why I'm so, this is why I push so much for us to be healthy. Get freaking healthy. Because that's really where the work is. We've, our focus has been everywhere else. Yeah, our focus is on the people that victimized us and what they did and why they did and how they did and how that impacts us. And how we forgive. And how we forgive and all that thing. And what I'm saying is stop spending your emotional and mental energy trying to figure out why what happened happened and trying to figure out why they did what they did. After you are healed and whole and healthy and sober thinking, then you can go back and try to identify with why they did what they did. But in your pain and in the trauma in that season, you don't have the capacity, you don't have the bandwidth to to selicha. Remember the second form of forgiveness that we talked about? We had uh, melicha and selicha. Do the melicha part, which is what Kyle, just go, you know what? I'm not going to let it hold me back. I'm not going to let it contaminate the rest of my life i'm going to spend my time and my energy getting healthy healing from the trauma which means if somebody all they did was emotionally abuse me and told me that i was no good that i was worthless that everything i did was wrong and pointed out all my errors and that's all they did was talk down to me and berate me it means i need to spend the next weeks months and years figuring out how to change my self-image That means self-talk, that means counseling, that means scripture verses, that means all these things, all these tools that we have at at our disposal. Once I am healed from that, then if I want to go from melicha to selicha, where I start to try to understand why they did and actually have compassion on them, I can do that then. But I feel like what religious folks have asked us to do is put is is reverse the two types of forgiveness. Go well now that you have Jesus and you were forgiven, you just need to forgive and have compassion on them. How about hell no? Because I'm still hurt and mad because of how they hurt me. How about I'm not at a place where I can do that? 
How about I wouldn't pee on them if they were burning? How about no, just because I've been saved by Jesus and he forgave me of some of the stuff that I did and all the stuff that I did. No, I'm like Mr. Robbins said, I'm not Jesus. And it ignores the trauma. And it ignores the trauma, which is another, is a re-victimization. We have to help people heal and then we can ask them to forgive people. Exactly. And so I, what, here's the, I'm sorry, did I cut you off? Go ahead. Uh, the main thing I want to say here before we are done in the gospel is that most of what Yeshua is saying is about reaction. Reaction and revenge, or the lack thereof, and it's not about forgiving. Do you guys see that? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the crimson thread there. That most of what he's saying here is about your reaction to things that happen to you. And that you don't have to be invited to every fight that you're, you know, or you don't have to take part in every fight you're invited to. It's about how you react to when you have done wrong or wrong has been done to you. It's about how you react. Not about how you forgive. Forgiveness comes in Matthew 6 after mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer, right? Yeah. Uh, just to kind of tie our Parsha and stuff in with, with what we're talking about, if we need to drive home the point anymore, um, in Devarim 30, uh, he says, just a couple verses, he says that uh, it'll be when these things come upon you, so we just went through the blessings and cursings in chapter 28, the blessing and the curse that I presented before you, and then you will take it to your heart among the nations where Hashem your God has dispersed you. So we did some bad stuff, or Israel did some bad stuff that, that offended God. And so God sent some consequences, allowed some consequences. And he says, you'll take it to heart wherever you are. That means you do some work on you, right? You understand mentally what you did to offend God. He says, and you will return, right? Shuv, you will return unto Hashem your God and listen to his voice according to everything I command you today, you and your children with your, all your heart and soul. But God doesn't ask us anything when he, free, he freely forgives. With all your heart and with all your, with everything. When you come back to him and turn over everything. There's cost. There's cost, when, there's cost for forgiveness. And it wasn't just Yeshua's cost on the cross. There's cost for every single person that receives God's forgiveness. And that is your life. Now, he goes on to say, Then, verse 3, Hashem your God will bring back your captivity. And have mercy on you and will return you and will regather you, etc., etc. Right? What happens to those people who don't give their lives and their loyalty and their allegiance? Well, we find that in our Haftarah. Did you listen to what Nikki was reading as she read the Haftarah? It, it sounds like something out of a movie, almost. Who is this that comes from Edom, sullied of garment from Butzra? The one who is majestic. It's this idea, this warrior king. And of course, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but it's like he was in the wine press. His clothes, white robes are full of red, but it wasn't from a wine press. He was pressing out the unrighteous from the nations. And he says, I could find nobody who upheld me. And, and it's this, I mean, it's, it's a... F- and, he, and he finds these unrepentant Israelites in garments similar to his right. that look like they were also, right? Right, right. Yeah. And it's just this idea that for those that are unrepentant, I mean, it's a savage passage. I mean, it is gory and, I mean, I love it. It's, 
because it shows the extremes of kind of what we're talking about. That the fact is that there's not going to be a time where God just goes, you know what, everybody who doesn't love me and doesn't want to be like me, you guys get to get forgiveness too. Like, I, there's a universalism that we can talk about, but I don't, I don't think that's it. So even in our Parsha and our Haftarah, we see this kind of opposing things where, um, where God says, yes, I will return you. I will return your exile. I'll give you back all your stuff. But you have to do something. And what if we held each other to that kind of account? What if we said, no, I'm, our relationship is not going to be restored until you repent. I'm not just going to let you off scot-free. Well, we can do that with those that we are in community with. And then the option is, I got to either work on restoring this relationship or I got to get out of community. That's the two options that I have. We see that in the New Testament a couple times. Throw them out. If they won't get right, get them out. But in situations where you're not in contact with a person or anymore, or you don't have a relationship with a person anymore, then sometimes you can't demand restoration. You can't demand reconciliation. That's where we have to adopt the attitude that we just talked about. You have to make that decision to move on and to get healed. And whether or not you want to understand them later is up to you. But again, we want to be like God. We want to, we want to treat each other like God treats us. And the highest form of dignity... The highest form of dignity is to demand that you change where you hurt me. Because then that means that I want to continue this relationship. That's right? right. That's right. I want to be in relationship with you. But in order to be in a relationship with you, I have to demand that you change and you restore, you fix where you hurt me. It's easy forgiveness to just say, well, you know what? I forgive you. Don't worry about it. And then, and then shadow break that relationship. You guys have all done that before. Sure. That's Go what like, we think Malicha is. Yeah, we think Malicha is that. Yeah, like, oh, don't worry. I forgive you. And then you don't text anymore. You don't call anymore. The relationship grows colder and colder and colder. And eventually, it's been 15 years and you hadn't talked to that person. You didn't really forgive. You, you might have forgiven them, but you didn't show them any dignity. Really, that relationship didn't mean anything to you because you just let them off scot-free and you broke the relationship. It didn't mean anything to you. That's right. To show that a, rela- a person really is valuable in your life, we should demand reconciliation and restoration and true teshuva. For it, this is why I believe that these, these in, the God, in, in the New Testament, excuse me, the apostolic scriptures where, Yeshua, where, they, where Paul teaches, excuse me, um, if, if you have issues with somebody, go to that person, right? And if it doesn't work, what do you do then? You just leave it alone and go, oh, well. No, what happens then? Then you take people with you. In case it gets ugly. Yeah, in case, really yeah. Air it out now. Yeah, you got your, and then if that doesn't happen, then what happens? Then you go to the elders. There's no stopping point, or there's not a stopping point until you have exhausted every other option. Why? Because relationships are, are holy, and necessary and important. And it makes the image of God. And, right, and, and together we are the image of God. How arrogant is it to think, oh, well, I can just forgive you and I don't need your relationship, but I'm still the image of God. No, you're not. Sweetheart, darling, that's not how it works. We have to have each other or unless the image of God never comes to fruition. And so it is incumbent upon us in the faith community that are serious about this to demand 
repentance with action when we offend each other. Not just this easy forgiveness. What we call that is greasy grace. God forgives you but doesn't expect anything of you. Well, we do the same thing with each other. We have greasy grace towards each other. And it's not healthy, and it's not right, and it doesn't build a kingdom. This is hard, but this is what we signed up for. Okay? Um, anything you want to say later besides that? No. So the mechanics of this, we'll finish with this. The mechanics of this can be kind of difficult. I understand that. And I know probably there's a, probably you out there, some of you here go, yeah, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? We can talk more about that if we need to. What, what, I wanted to, what I wanted Kyle and I to do today was mainly to relieve us all of some of the shame that we have carried surrounding some of these ideas. Because I know that there are, there are many of us that still have wounds and still have issues with people that have hurt us in the past. I have them, you have them, we all have them. And it doesn't help that you're dealing with the trauma of, of past abuse and now you have to deal with the guilt for not just being able to easily forgive and get over the trauma. So you're being re-victimized, re-traumatized every time you deal with that situation. That doesn't sound like the gospel to me. And if it does, I don't know that I'm really in for it. So by a more careful reading, which I'm thankful that Kyle helped us to do, I hope you understand that you, if, if, if you've had trouble forgiving someone, if you, if you have ever thought about this forgiveness thing and thought, you know, this doesn't make sense. For instance, have you, have you ever thought, I'm sure everybody in this room has, you ever thought, if I forgive someone, does that mean they just get away with it? Have we not all thought that? If I forgive someone, does it mean they just get away with it? We've all had that thought. And that sounds like injustice. Hmm. And injustice is one of the reasons why the Israelites got kicked out of the land. God hates that just as much as he hates someone who won't forgive. Yeah. God hates injustice. We think, oh, well, God hates homosexuals. No, you know what? God hates your injustice. That's what God hates. And your treatment well, God, of your enemies. Yeah, God yeah. hates the transvestites. You know what God hates? He hates you treating them unjustly as much as you think he hates them on a personal level. Injustice is a pretty big deal with God. As a matter of fact, justice is the throne of God. He is enthroned in justice, the scriptures tell us. Justice, justice, justice you, you shall, shall pursue. pursue. Right, so... My point is that I want us to be free of the shame of, of easy forgiveness, of not being able to do easy forgiveness. Because what it means, if you have trouble forgiving someone, what it probably means, it probably doesn't mean that you're mad at them or you're still hurt at them. You want to forgive. I believe everybody listening to my voice that knows the forgiveness and love and mercy of God you truly want to be at a place where you can fully forgive people that have hurt you. Those particular that have not made teshuva. You, you understand, we're talking about two different categories of people. It's easy to forgive people who have made a, an effort to make restoration. That's, that's a no-brainer. If you even try to make restoration, I'm gonna, you have my open and complete forgiveness, which is exactly how God treats us. Yes. But it's for those people that either you can't or that refuse to acknowledge they're wrong. That's the, the forgiveness that we're talking about. 
right? And do you re- and so then I think just to tamper that, uh, then that's where the stuff with Yeshua about your reaction to their refusal, right? is really important, right? right? Because we want God to not treat us with contempt whenever we refuse to repent, right? So, I mean, it's, you know, it's all very uh, complex and... Uh, yeah, but ge- but yeah. generally... But we're, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah, generally we're talking about those people that refuse to. You have a couple of options, just kind of in summation. You can, you can continue to replay that trauma and injustice internally and you can let it eat you alive and it will, it will kill you. If not physically, spiritually, emotionally, it'll kill you. You can do mechila, where you just say, you know what? Um, I'm going to make a conscious decision not to hold it against them, and they don't owe me anything. And you start the healing process for you, not for them, for you. You start the healing process to fix whatever they broke. If they're not going to fix it, I'm sorry, but it's between you and God to fix it. And that's just a thing you have. And community. That's why we have each other. The third option is after you get to that point, you can go back and relive that trauma and try to understand them so that you can freely release anything else that you have in, in in your life towards them. What we don't want is we don't want a vicious cycle of retaliation, right? That's the whole thing. One of the, one of the other things about Yeshua's teaching of the Torah is that an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, what, when does that stop? When do we as humans go, okay, enough, enough? So there are some, a lot of complexities to this, but I hope this has been helpful, just this casual talk we've had has been helpful to help you see forgiveness in a different light. To see forgiveness in a different way. And hopefully we can expect a higher level of relationship from each other now that we understand things a little differently. Maybe you can expect a higher level of relationships from the people in your world or you can expect a higher relation, a level of relationship um, just at least on your part with your coworkers, maybe people you don't spend every day with or whatever that are not, you know, in your inner circle. Maybe you know now more what you need to be in order not to create offense so that you don't have to go back and make it right later. So um, I do want to do this since we have about 10 minutes. I do want to open it up for comments while we're still online. Um, I, and it's hard with online for comments because there's such a delay. There's like a 30-second delay. So we might even not, not even see any comments um, but for those here in the room and if you've had anything come up if anybody said anything so far um, is there anybody still watching no. <laughs> yeah, it could be no. rotten fruit emojis <laughs> yeah yeah everybody's <laughs> throwing virtual tomatoes at us um, does anybody have any comments or questions about go ahead. that's okay well I'll, I'll address that go ahead to that point, we only have so many eyes and so many teeth that people can take. We also have only so much tolerance we have for different types of abuse. That's right. So Absolutely. Before, run, before they use all that up would be a good time to – that's hard to gauge. That's a, no, that's a great point. But the, the thing that I'd like to add, and I, I found this several years ago, and it's been helpful for me. It's in Luke 17. Uh, I'll just read verse 3, but it's Yeshua talking to his disciples. There's one big two-letter word in there, and it's if. And it just kind of sums this whole thing up. Be on guard. 
If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, mm. forgive him. That's, that's always overlooked in forgiveness teachings in the church. That's right. Very good. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're talking. Yep. That's what we're talking about. And we don't ever, we don't ever see that, right? In every version that I've read of that, it says yes. Yep, and it's even that's even the part where he says if they come to you seven times, forgive them seven times. Mm-hmm. But still, it's if if they come and want to be forgiven, then start the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. And about when to walk away. I mean, that's such a great point because. And this, again, is where, guys, it's so important. And I don't know, I, I'm going to have a psychologist come and speak at some point. I, I'm serious, because, it's, because, we, because for so long, we in the church, we've been divorced from knowing about ourselves and understanding our emotions. We were never taught how to understand our, our mentality and our emotion. We weren't taught that stuff. It was just to be like Christ. Okay, well, he's not here. So I'm doing the best with what I have to work with, right, which is hard sometimes. Um, and so, but knowing when to walk away, how do you know when to walk away? You have to know yourself. You have to know your, you have to know where your trigger spots are. You have to know where your past hurts are tender and sore. You have to know that. And you have to have the confidence to know that it's okay without feeling some shame and guilt because, well, Jesus doesn't want me to walk away from some, no, Jesus himself said like, Hey, like Kyle said, hypocrites, brood of vipers. Like he knew when to walk away. He knew what was up because he knew who he was and he knew he didn't have time for that. It's not like he hated those people. He just didn't have time for it and he knew that it would be dealt with um, eventually. So, um, just hints of made a comment. She said, our hurt damages us way more than the person who hurt us. So the process of healing makes a lot of sense. Yeah, really absolutely. And, really and we've heard this, right? You forgive. Forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. And that is true. As long as we do the work, it's not enough just to forgive. The forgiveness part is not what heals us. It's the work that we do on ourselves that forgives us. And yes, that includes prayer. And yes, that includes worship. And it includes all the spiritual things that we do. But it also includes some things that we don't do. Go ahead, Ms. Robin. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's sometimes why people won't ask, right? It's because they don't know. Right. And, and, I, and I think that's such a good point. And hopefully this is, this is kind of helping some of us to shift our, the way we see this. Because I have a big problem with that too. Like I feel because of my insecurities, I feel petty if I go to somebody and say, hey, you said this and it didn't, you know, I feel like, why am I bothering them with this? It's your own insecurity anyway. You know what I mean? They didn't even mean it. They didn't even say it. So I let it go. But then somebody else says something and then it kind of stacks, right? Yeah. And then you, then you start to, it reinforces your own insecurity, right? Which were unhealthy. So it's easy to reinforce our own insecurity, all these things. And so really seeing it in light of like, no, I value that person and that relationship. So it's, it's incumbent upon me to go to them. If I don't go to them, then it's really showing how little I value community, and so if we see it in that way, it might be a little more empowering. 
for us. And it's not about us. It's about them. And it's about our relationship. What I like about both of those uh, things that you said, I really love both of those. The second one, um, well, I guess just the first one, it shows that like the ability to identify with their with their situation in order to give them compassion is like a part of the process that comes after identifying the trauma and the hurt and the distance maybe and things like that. So I, I love that you shared that. But yeah. also the second part, is that sometimes the healing is with identifying with others. Sure. Knowing that other people were hurt the same way and that they have been able to get through it and then they can help you and you can help them. And that's why yeah. most of us are here, right? Yeah, we were, absolutely. You know. um, yeah, uh, Kiva posted a, a great quote. Um, the most compassionate people are boundaried people. That's by Brene Brown. Um, that's a great, a great quote. Uh, Ms. Janice also brought up uh, the... You know, we think back about the sacrificial model. We go like, what do sacrifices have to teach us today? Well, we're, hopefully we've learned a lot. Remember, there is no offering that you can give in the temple for intentional sin, right? There is no offering for that. You have to come and make it right from your heart. That's right. And so if somebody intentionally hurts you, there's no restitution they can make until sometimes they, you know, 
they make it from their heart. Um, and sometimes you just don't get that. And, and that's where the, that's, that's the sad place is when you don't get that, when you can't get that. And that's where I'm really focused on, you know, on, I hate self-help, the idea, but you understand what I'm saying, of, of improving yourself and being the healthiest version of yourself that you can possibly be. Um, so, so that's good. Uh, anybody? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I did mean to say. You have to know when and where the proper time to share your story. Because not everybody's going to want to hear your story or receive your story. So right. you have to know who sure. you're sharing with to know that it's going to be accepted. And, and Kev, that's exactly the reason why we're, yeah. why we're doing this. Yeah. Is, is so that to give you guys some thinking stuff so that you can start to become more confident in how you think about this. Because let's be honest, the traditional way of thinking about forgiveness, sometimes you weren't confident in what you really, you didn't feel right about it. I mean, if you be honest with yourself, there's sometimes you've had to forgive or you've heard teachings on forgiveness and you're like, I, I, that's what it looks like it says, but man, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit right. It doesn't feel like justice, right? And so that's why we're doing this to kind of help, help that. Hang on, Mr. JB, go ahead. Yeah, I think, again, long-suffering goes into, you know, will we suffer with people along their journey? Let me kind of break it down in a couple pieces. I think that the long-suffering part is um, as long as people are coming along, don't give up on them just because they haven't hit where you think or even where that's they right. want to be. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I'm not where I want to be, but my wife still works with me every day and <laughs> she's long suffering. She knows of my dreams in my head where I want to be, who I want to be and she knows I'm not there yet, but I'm making those, you know, they might be little steps and it may be a step forward and then 14 back, but then there may be another two step, you know, is is that long suffering. And I'll say the second part of that is you can suffer longer with people the healthier you are. That's just there's a direct link between your own health and how long someone can pull on you, right? It's just part of, it's just part of how it is. Um, I, I can take Asher and I can ride him on my back all day, right? But Jojo is 10 and he's a little husky and he's heavier. 
And, and it's not so much that he's heavier, it's that I'm not stronger, right? You can look at it both ways. If I get stronger, I can carry him too. Am I willing to do that work, right? So that, that's how I see the long-suffering thing. Go ahead, Mr. Jibby. It also oh. goes back to what Kifa said about people with boundaries have more compassion, but also people with boundaries are not attracted to, or, uh, are not attractive to people who are abusers. That's a that's great point. That's, a, that's yeah. a fantastic point. And, and a, one thing that's been brought up in the chat has been narcissists. You're a person with boundaries, a narcissist will lose their freaking mind, but they won't come after you again once they know. And that's the best thing, because once they get the hooks in you, it's, it's, it's gone after that. Suppose I'm the guy that got my gift at the altar, and I, I, this just, I realize Brady's got stuff against me, but I haven't done nothing to Brady. Mm. I'm supposed to go to him and say, hey, man, what have I done to you? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And not, and not because... Not because you're any less than him or, or not. Again, it's not the doormat thing. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's because we value relationships and we value community. And, if, and, and like I, I read from, the, uh, from uh, Rambam's uh, Mishneh Torah, um, if someone just refuses to reconcile, then the sin becomes theirs, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a safeguard for that. For if, if, you, if you had that situation, and if y'all didn't hear online, JB said, what if you're at the altar and you're giving your offering and you remember somebody has something against you, but you, don't, you didn't do anything wrong or not that you know of, do you still go to them? Yes, you go to them if they have ought against you. Some people just live to be offended. That's the survival mechanism that they live in. That's, how, that's the only way they know how to exist is just to be perpetually offended by anything and everything, Right? And Rambam teaches us that if you go and you try to make it right, you take people with you, you do the biblical thing, you try, to, you try to make it right as much as you can. If they refuse to forgive you or deal with the issue, the sin becomes theirs. They are accountable then. And you can walk off free and clear. You can go give your gift. You can lift your hands and worship knowing that you don't have a dog in that fight. It's their issue. They have to deal with it. And I love that. Because it doesn't seem like in my growing up and understanding, it seemed like the issue was always mine. It was never the offender, right? And that's what I love so much about kind of rethinking this is like, no, I don't have all the responsibility to always be the good guy, right? I do. But I don't have to be the good guy at the expense of somebody else. Like somebody said, you know, it, some, you don't just let people keep stabbing you. I mean, eventually you go get the heck off of me, right? And you get away. I don't always have to be that guy. There is a place for the other person to have some accountability. And that's, that's the way God treats us. It's all in his plan. So, um, all right. So great discussion. Thank you guys um, for being a part of it and for being open and discussing afterwards. I appreciate it so very much. For those of you guys online, thank y'all. Um, uh, I was, uh, was messaging someone this week and talking about how we overcome some of these things. And Kyle read it, but the, uh, the idea that if a Roman soldier slaps you, you're never going to win that fight. I mean, you might kill him, but then there's 10 more where he came from. And then what happens? It escalates into a war, right? Into a rebellion. 
talking about our modern day issues, for those of us or those of you or whatever that feel like you're being victimized by the government or by, you know, powers that be or whatever it might be, there can be this big, like, rebellion, we're going to rise up, right? What, listen, we'll never win those battles. We're winning Facebook battles. Good. No, well, we're you not know, even winning Facebook. I mean, yeah, you know may, what I'm maybe. Like, yeah, that's the only fight you might try to right. win. You're not actually fighting the people you think you're fighting most yeah. of the time. And in Yeshua's day, the people wanted to rise up against Rome, and Yeshua said, "No, don't do that." Why? Because they would have been slaughtered. Every single one of them would have been slaughtered. The Romans wouldn't. They wouldn't have even thought a second thought to kill every man, woman, and child. There are some things that we're going to face that we are not going to be able to win. So what is the gospel? We call it subversive. And what does that mean, a subversive gospel? It means that you can't win head to head. But by subverting the power that you have, it doesn't mean, it means, you know what? I'm going to have hope even though the powers that be are making life hopeless. It means I'm going to have joy even though the powers that be are stripping away everything that I find joy in. It means I'm going to have peace, even though the powers that be, whatever's happening, is trying to drum up chaos and turmoil and whatever. That's how you don't become a victim in the first place, is to live a subversive lifestyle. If you're going to try to do something to me, I'm going to do the counter just because that's who I am and what I And that's what the gospel is. The coming of, the, of, of, the, of heaven, and I think this is so beautiful, and I'll stop talking. The coming of heaven, does it come by a bunch of religious conservatives overthrowing a liberal government? Is that what brings heaven and the Messiah to earth? <laughs> I know a lot of us want to think that, you know, a bunch of Baptists with their, you know, over and under shotguns marching, you know, whatever. That's not what brings the kingdom of heaven. What brings the kingdom of heaven is that you find, you you're in a place where you, you feel like the, the, the environment is creating a place of no hope. And you find hope in God, in prayer, in your relationship with God. You find hope. And then you find someone else that doesn't have any hope and you help them to have hope. And your flame lights their candle. And then you find other people to find joy and you start spreading those things. Then what all of a sudden starts happening? The kingdom of God is manifest in the earth in opposition to and in subversion to the kingdoms that be. Does that make sense? That is the gospel. That, that is literally what Yeshua was introducing. It's not about taking up arms and you know, beating your abusers down and, and going in and a circle of violence. It's about living a subversive lifestyle that even though they hurt me, I'm still going to have joy and peace as I heal. All right, guys, thank y'all so much for being with us again. We love you and appreciate y'all. Thank y'all for being interactive in the comments and uh, for not throwing cyber tomatoes at us. We appreciate it. Um, Love you all. Father, we pray for our online family um, as we say goodbye to them. Uh, We pray that you would bless them with a wonderful rest of the Sabbath.
uh, and this week, Father, as we start to roll, uh, wrap up Elul uh, and the introspection and the squeezing may get a little bit more intense, Father, help us to take a deep breath in realizing it's the potter's hands that are molding us and shaping us and that we have no fear, uh, no worry of being cast out or being uh, judged negatively or harshly, but it's just your, your loving hands that are molding us into your image. So um, we are safe and content and, and hopeful in the Father's hands today. We bless you, Father, through Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen and amen.